right, the words of a dying man. This is our, I think this is our fourth Sunday in this series. And so I am going to have to end it today because next Sunday is Palm Sunday and then the next Sunday is Easter. So I will resume the rest of this later. Is that all right? So today we'll end it and then we'll resume the rest of it later. Matthew 27, 45. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemana sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those who stood there when he cried that said, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone. Let him see if Elijah would come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud spirit and yielded up the spirit. Amen. The words of a dying man. How many would agree with me that uh, we do a whole lot of talking in life? We do a whole lot of talking in life. Somebody once estimated that the average person will speak more than 500 500 pages of words in there in one week. In one week, a person will speak over 500 words or 500 pages in a book. That is a lot of words, isn't it? People do a whole lot of speaking. People do a whole lot of talking in life. Some of us talk more than others. Some people just like to talk because they want to hear themselves. But then there are others who don't talk that much. And when they do talk, it commands respect and honor. How many's ever met somebody like that before? But have you ever noticed that the words of a final, the words of a final, uh, the words of somebody who is dying, their final words hold a little bit more extra weight than what they would have spoken in their lifetime? Last words really do hold extra weight. Last words of people are either filled with hope or despair, depending on their salvation. But even though somebody may talk a lot in life, their last words seem to hold a little bit more weight than their other words. And if you look throughout history, you'll find that a lot of people spoke a lot of things. Winston Churchill said in January 24th, 1965, this was a man who had a vision to never give up. And on his deathbed, Winston Churchill said this, I am convinced that there is no hope. What about D.L. Moody, that great evangelist, On December the 22nd, 1899, on his deathbed, he said, and I quote, I see the earth receding and I see heaven opening. God is calling me home. Two different men saying something different on their their deathbed. Because your last words really do hold extra weight. And this morning, as we ponder on the words of Jesus, Jesus said a few last words as he's dying on the cross. Jesus is suffering. Jesus is gasping for air and yet our master takes a few moments and he says some things from the cross that still echo in our ears today. What was Jesus thinking as he's dying on the cross? What was going through his mind? What was going through his heart as he's hanging between heaven and earth gasping to breathe, pulling himself up on the cross What was going through his heart? What was going through his mind? And the Bible tells us the words of a dying man. Jesus begins to utter these words from the cross. 
His first words were, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He looked to the thief on the cross and said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. He said, last week we we talked about this, he said, Behold your son. And he looked to the disciple and said, Behold your mother. And today we're going to look at the words, his fourth saying from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I want you to ponder on those words this morning. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I want you to picture Jesus this morning suffering. I want you to picture Jesus in agony. I want you to put your mind's eye at the cross as he has blasphemers at the foot of the cross. And Jesus is hanging between heaven and earth, gasping for air. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, my God... My God, why have you forsaken me? Now that's very perplexing to me. It's very perplexing. I'll tell you why it's perplexing. Because Jesus is God. And at the same time, he is crying to God, why have you forsaken? It's almost perplexing here. What is Jesus trying to convey here? Here is Jesus, God in human flesh. And let me make sure you understand that. He is God and he is human at the same time. As man, Jesus can hang on the cross and suffer. But as God, he can resurrect himself from the grave. As man, Jesus can get hungry. But as God, he can multiply the loaf and the fish. As man, he can weep at the tomb of Lazarus. But as God, he can command Lazarus to get up out of the grave. As man, he can sleep on the boat. But as God, he can command the winds and the waves to be still. He is God and he is man at the same time. Why is that important? Because as man, he can sympathize with your suffering. As man, he can sympathize with what you're going through. But as God, He can bring you out of the pit. As God, He can deliver you. As God, He can heal you. As God, He can translate you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He is man and He is God at the same time. And as Jesus is hanging between heaven and earth, He is suffering in His humanity. And He cries out to the God of the Israelites. He says, why have you forsaken me? Now, why would Jesus say such words? Because, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus' suffering on the cross is an example to you and I that there are times in our life, in our suffering, in our pain, that we really do feel as though God has left us. Is there anybody that can help the preacher this morning say that I know that's true? In our pain and in our suffering, there are times that we really do feel as if God has left us. And I don't know about you, but have you ever walked the valley of the shadow of death? Have you ever felt like your heart has been torn to pieces? Have you ever thought to yourself, there is no reason for me trying any longer because this thing don't work? Have you ever been so perplexed in yourself that you prayed for someone and they didn't live or you believed for a miracle and it never happened and you're walking through the greatest valley of your life and you feel as though you're Jesus. You've left me. 
Can you imagine the heart of Jesus? I've raised the dead. I've healed the sick. I've done all of these miracles. And yet, on my last moments on earth, I feel as though God has left me. Have you ever felt that way before? Have you ever felt as though God is nowhere in sight? This story is pinned in the Gospels to tell us that all of us, at one time or another, will have to go through a season of our life where we feel as though God has left us. That God is a million miles away. And yet, sometimes in life, it leaves us scratching our head. If it is true, then why did that happen? Oh, I know you all are good Christians and you got a big Bible and you're Pentecostal proud. But I just want to let you all know that all of us have experienced the valley where we feel as though God has left us. Is there anybody that can be real with the preacher this morning and say, I've been there. I've been there. And I wanted to give it up because I thought it wasn't worth it. This story is in the Gospels to prove to us that even God's favorite person, Jesus, experienced the same thing. And if Jesus experienced it, how much more will we experience it? C.S. Lewis said, when you can't trace God, sometimes you got to trust God. Because if you can trace everything about God and you have it all figured out, you would be God. We all have a crisis of faith. We all have situations in our life where it leaves us hanging. And it feels as though it's not worth it anymore. Can you imagine Jesus on the cross? Blasphemers saying, if you're the real person, if you're the Messiah, come down off of that cross. His own family wasn't at the cross, just his mother and his aunt. His family wasn't there. Most of his family wasn't there. A bunch of blasphemers blaspheming his name. One of the criminals cursing at him. And here he feels as though God has left him. Have you ever been there? Where your family couldn't help you? Your family wasn't supporting you? You feel like God has left you? And your friends who say your friends is not even there? It sounds like a familiar story, don't it? It's no wonder Jesus felt alone. It's no wonder Jesus felt alone. I want you to see number one. I want you to see Jesus' anguished cry. I want you to see him crying from the cross. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now don't lose me. Why is that significant? Because when Jesus is on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is actually quoting Psalms 22. He is quoting the Old Testament. Now why is that significant? Because it's significant because it proves to us that no matter how we feel, no matter what we're going through, 
No matter if we feel as though God has left us, the best thing that we can do is always go back to the Word of God. You see, Jesus in his darkest hour, Jesus in his anguished cry, Jesus feeling forsaken by God the Father, the thing that he does is he always goes back to the Bible. He went to Psalms 22 verse 1 and he begins to quote it. You see, I've been there before. I have felt mad at God before. I have felt angry at God before. Believe me, I have. I have said, God, I don't understand why this is happening. But you know what has happened in my life? When I open the Bible and I begin to read stories, somehow, no matter how I'm feeling, my feelings begin to change because I'm taking truth and truth is going into fact. Somebody say hallelujah. When you begin to rely upon the Word of God in spite of how you feel, your feelings are subject to change. You say, well, pastor, I just feel this way. Well, let me tell you something. Feelings are not facts. And you can't believe everything you think. He begins to quote the word of God. Because every situation you go through, there's a scripture. Some scripture that you can use to bring you through. Now why did he quote Psalm 22? It's in the word of God. But if you read Psalms 22, at the end of it, it's a victory psalm. So Jesus was quoting the word because he knew that Psalms 22 demonstrated victory. He didn't feel victory. He didn't feel like he was going to make it. But he knew that his source of hope was to go back to what was written down. And that was the word of God. Now, in closing, do you know, no, don't, don't lose me. Did you know, did you know that that in the Old Testament, they had what they called scapegoats, okay? And in the Old Testament, the priest would take a goat, and when he, took, when he would take a goat on the Day of Atonement, he would put his hands on the goat, and he would recite all of the sins of the children of Israel on that goat. And after he recited the, the sins of the children of Israel on the goat, he would then release the goat into the wilderness, the picture of Jesus hanging on the cross is the picture of the scapegoat. The sins of the world was being placed upon Jesus, and Jesus, like that goat, is being sent into the wilderness. That is why Jesus felt alone, because he's fulfilling Old Testament prophecy about being the scapegoat. Let me read the scripture to you in Leviticus. Leviticus chapter number... I want you to see this. Leviticus chapter 16... And I want you to look at verse 21. Leviticus chapter 16 and verse number 21. Leviticus chapter 16 and beginning with verse number 21. All right? I want you to see the picture of the scapegoat. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all of their sin putting them on the head of the goat and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hands of an able man. The goat shall bear on itself all the iniquities to an uninhibited land and he shall release the goat into the wilderness. That is Old Testament. The priest 
would put his hands on the goat, recite the sins of the people on the goat. Then they would take the goat and lead it into the wilderness and cast the goat away. Remember what the Word of God says? Your sins is as far as the east is from the west. When Jesus is dying on the cross, he is the picture of that goat. God the Father is the high priest. He puts his hand on Jesus, put put the sins of the world on Jesus, and Jesus is spiritually sent into the wilderness. And it is no wonder Jesus at that time in space and in history is saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he is that scapegoat. He has the sins of the world upon him, and he is in the wilderness. Do you see that? Jesus is that scapegoat. He took upon him the sins of the world. And what does that mean to me? Listen to this preacher. Just listen to me. If Jesus is the scapegoat, and he took upon himself the sin of the world, and he was cast into the wilderness and felt alone, he did that, So you today don't have to bear the guilt of your sin any longer. There are some of you, you really love Jesus, but you can't get over your past. There are some of you that really, really want to serve God and do great things, but you really can't get over the past because your sin you're still carrying. And I want to let you know something really good. Jesus is the scapegoat. He already carried your sin. You don't have to carry your sin any longer. Can somebody say amen? Quit, leave it alone. Your past is the past and let it go. Today, the word of God says you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're the head and not the tail. You've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He is the scapegoat. He bore the sins of the world. So you don't have to carry your sin any longer. But pastor, I've messed up. Well, well, haven't we all messed up? Pastor, I try so hard. Well, we all try so hard. I really don't want to do it. Well, none of us want to do it. We're all in this thing together. And Easter is all about the good news. There was one man who loved the world and took upon himself the sin of the world so you don't have to walk in your sin any longer. So I prophesy to you today, be free from your past. I prophesy to you today, walk in freedom. Somebody should shout right there. I prophesy to you today, get up, pull up your bootstraps, and walk as the redeemed of the Lord today. You're free. Walk in the freedom that he has for you. Somebody say amen.